Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to The Front Porch. My name is Dennis, and as always, I'm joined by Michael. How you doing tonight, Mike? Pretty good, Dennis. How's it going, buddy? Pretty good. Uh, on the show with us tonight, we have a returning guest, Fox, from Geek Scholars. Hi, pleasure to be back. And uh, first-time guest, our good buddy Pat from Bloomington. Thank you for having me. Hey, Pat, what's up? Hey, Pat's in, Pat's in the studio with me tonight. So we've yeah. got live live performances going on. I feel honored <laughs> being the first in studio guest. <laughs> so, which is a, another way of saying down in my uh, game room basement. So, <laughs> right, right, right. It's our, our our fancy studio. We don't have that geek sto- geek scholar uh, flush cash that happens <laughs> over there with the the real people in the world. Hey, how's it been going, Fox? It's been going great. Um, trying to catch up right now on all the uh, last minute. Well, I shouldn't say last minute, but all the awards nominees that are coming out. So the Golden oh. Globe nominees were released today, right. uh, and we always are, you know, sort of scrambling at the end of the year to watch all of our screeners to to see all the nominees, so we can be informed when the actual uh, awards shows come out. So it's a, it's a fun time. It's a busy time. Uh, while everyone else is uh, wrapping gifts, we're watching as many movies as possible. Oh, that's just terrible, man. So horrible life you must It's a really rough life. It's a really, really rough life. You have to watch so many good movies. It's really painful. Right. Award-winning nominees type stuff, right? We're not winning, I guess, but... Not uh, yet. Yeah. Hey, so tonight we're going to talk about... We've got a couple things. I mean, it's it's like so many topics we got at our disposal here with you two guys. But uh, um, we're going to... The Ready Player One, the new trailer dropped... Uh, today, I think, or yesterday, maybe. Yesterday. And and uh, it, we're Dennis and Dennis and I are real big fans of that uh, that book. And Pat, you've read that, right? Yeah, I've read that. And, At your suggestion. Yeah. What What'd you think of that? <laughs> what do you think of the book? I love the book. I thought it was really interesting. I do not think it will appeal to people who didn't live in the eighties. Yeah. So I think it's going to struggle with that. You think? Does it? Does a trailer give you any? Here, I guess we we don't segue into that yet. But the other thing we'll talk about is uh, the three of us, along with another uh, friend, is uh, have started a an online or remote play um, Star Trek. What is it? Star Trek Adventures? Is that what it is, Dennis? Star Trek uh, Adventures. And it's Star four Trek of Adventures role playing game. Yeah, four four of us, right? Um, wow, yeah, there's four of us, so five <laughs> of us total. And Dennis is our DM. So being a first time DM, um, I DM myself, as everybody knows, and Fox, you do as well, right? Yes, that I do. Uh, so we're gonna get we're gonna spend some time on role playing, like a lot of different topics there. But um, let's just start with uh, Dennis. What do you think of that trailer? It's pretty good, pretty exciting. Um, a little more, uh, a little more fleshed out than the first one. Um, some, if you're familiar with the story, some key elements of the story revealed there. Um, Landmark, like what? Which uh, one? Which one are you? Which ones are you talking about? Well, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't read it. Oh, dude, there's a, there's a certain it. explosion. <laughs> oh, certain, right. Okay. A certain explosion. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, shit, shit. There's, there's a difference between spoiling a movie that's out and that we've seen, and oh, spoiling yeah. a story for a movie that's not going to be out for four months. Hey, okay, let's talk to our pro, Fox. What do you do about that? You you don't even talk about trailers, do you? 
Well, we'll talk about trailers, and I think if I think it's fair to talk about trailers in the context of what you actually see on screen versus what it could portend for the actual plot. Mm-hmm. I'm inclined to agree with Dennis that you know this is a vast improvement over the first trailer, where I had a lot of people who had read the book who said, "Wow, this is really, really kind of looks fun and neat." And I had people who did not read the book and said, "I don't know what the heck is going on in this thing. All mm-hmm. I know is I saw some things I recognize, but story-wise, plot arc-wise, it was devoid." So right. I give I give the filmmakers a lot of credit. I, I think, you know, the first trailer debuted at Comic-Con for a Comic-Con audience with the expectation that 99% of the people in the Hall H knew the source material, so therefore they could fill in their own gaps. Um, this trailer is what I would call the first trailer that actually has some story and meat behind it. So I, I was happy about it. I'm not – I've read the book um, three times. I've given wow, at nice. least six – I've given at least six copies away as gifts. Uh, that's yeah. how much of a fan of it I am. So I will say, though, Des, I don't know exactly what spoiler you're alluding to, but I think if it appears in the trailer and you want to discuss those elements, that's fair game because it's in the public domain. Mm. Sure, sure. Well, something that Fox mentioned there about this being the first trailer, it is actually listed as official trailer one on YouTube. So they do right. consider it the first trailer as opposed to the Comic-Con trailer Hmm. which was just kind of leaked out. So it's kind of like a teaser? Is that, that what that you think that person would be called? I don't even know that I would call it a teaser in the traditional sense. I think Fox hit it, hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Well, this, I got to say, I, I I don't know. I had my misgivings. I think I've kind of been open a little bit. Fox, did we talk about this? I think it had been it's so long ago that we, you were actually in the show and we did touch on the first one a little bit. Because I remember you saying the things like, it was nothing I really said in there except for, like uh equivalent of clickbait where it's like hey there's iron giant things but yeah uh, i mean i think I, again i think it was built for a certain audience where they were showing as many cameos and and yeah. touching on nostalgia at every second it could this one at least gave you some indication that there's a quest there's a journey and there's a goal and there is an antagonist this is the first time we saw ben mendelshahn's um villainous character in, in the film and even we saw artemis for the first time which yeah, is right? again something you didn't even get in the first trailer so what's fascinating to me is that you know if you read the book there are tons of ips represented and what's kind of funny is that i think they Mm -hmm. didn't they're not they're sticking to some of that but not all of it for example in this trailer i think it's time we get into more of the details here they show a lot of street fighter characters which i think is interesting and back to your point um you know pat about growing up in the 80s i consider street fighter 2 a little bit more of a 90s thing um it, maybe am i am i wrong about that no it totally was i mean it's very early 90s yeah. though because that was when i was in college i remember they had one down in the right quad so well that's it's not even that the, the big thing that dennis and i were mentioned he pointed out to me is that tracer's in it tracer is right yeah, in today. one of the last scenes you see tracer who's from overwatch like she's been in development that's here like, and now just yeah. a couple years ago yeah and you but, also have Battletoads making an appearance. Oh, really? God, I, I want to see the scene-by-scene breakdown of the, this trailer just because... Yeah, I mean, I'm, sure I, someone's, I'm sure someone's done it. I think, right. I think what, you're dealing with, what, what you're dealing with some of that there is um, the main story around... Um, oh, wow, I can't remember his name. Uh, the guy Wade. that leaves the egg. Halliday. Parzival. Halliday. Um, is his whole... Um, like focus is on the 80s but you're in this in this virtual world where so many things are possible and so sure you could have 
any kind of IP that's happened in the intervening, what, like 60, 70 years? 60 years, yeah. Right. Yeah, Because yeah, like, a lot of, even the robots weren't from the 80s. They were more modern than that, yeah. even in the book. Right. So right, just because yeah. Halliday was a fan of the 80s, and I'm sure a lot of it will be the, the quest, the, obviously. The Firefly, the Serenity is in um, in the book. Oh, right, right. Man, that'd be great to see that thing, wouldn't it? Like... They have Serenity fly in there. It's like, oh, man, we get a little bit. Well, that's going to be a part of the fun, I think. And people have already started breaking down the trailer scene by scene and looking at all the different IPs. There's definitely a slant towards Warner Brothers IPs. So in the trailer, you will see the following characters from the DC Universe, Deadshot, Harley Quinn, Joker, Mm -hmm. uh, just at a blush. So there's definitely a a slant towards that. (laughs) Dennis, Dennis spotted Dennis spotted Harley Quinn. Everybody just newsflash. That's a he, yeah, surprising. That's surprising. that's a callback to the year before last Gen Con when there were upwards of thirty to forty Harley Quinn cosplays. <laughs> what I think is interesting though, just I, I thought this was a little bit fascinating, and not to go too deep down one rabbit hole. The version of the Joker they show is definitely much closer to the Heath Ledger version rather than the Jared Leto version, right. which you'd think that they would, you know, pri- try to be promoting the current iteration of the DC universe. But I don't know. I thought that'd be at least somewhat mm. humorous, but at least maybe it's more realistic that the Heath right. Ledger version decades from now would be the more iconic one that people uh-huh. would remember. I don't know. I thought that whole thing kind of fascinating. Yeah, if you're yeah, going to the... make yourself the, the, the Joker, are you going to do a, a Leto one or are you going to do Ledger? You're, you're going to do Ledger. I mean, I, I saw them because they're, they're a couple dancing at the, uh, at the zero gravity ballroom thing uh, for Og's party. But yeah. um, the, the Harley looked more to me like the, um, the video games. The yeah, Arkham, it's Arkham Asylum. The Arkham skin, series. Yeah. All right. Well, the I, I say this is I did like here. Here, let's say it's things I liked about this. I, I, I liked that they showed a lot more of the real world things. I think Fox mentioned on that that there's you know Sorrento in there. Uh, that's cool. I, I do like. I got a more better or a more better a better sense this time of how they're going to clearly separate the the game world versus this world. It's it's got the Final Fantasy. What's it called? That movie that they used to have, the old one called Final Fantasy Spirits Within or that kind of stuff. They've got that, you know, video game looking characters in there. But they cut back and forth between like when Wade is sitting in the haptic chair and you can see her running Mm -hmm. her hands up him. It's like, that's Mm -hmm. cool. They're going to be intercutting back between real world and that one. And I kind of like that. I I really dig them doing that. And the Oasis scenery is not is not photorealistic. It's more like you said, Final Fantasy, a little more clearly CGI, presumably to to dodge the the uncanny valley problem. Yeah, it's funny that I that I I saw that in this trailer. It was a little thrown by it, and then I thought that it was appropriate once I sort of let it sink in that it should look a little bit like a a, a future end video game. Um, but that surprised me. In my mind, I always pictured it as being photorealistic. In when right. I read the book, like I always just. Picture it, but I think they did a good job of you know when you see the DeLorean or something like that, it looks pretty much like yeah you know per- pic- pixel perfect. But the characters look a little you know not animatronic, but definitely you know something you'd find in a, in a really good video game rather than being uh, you know perfectly an analog for humanity. So Pat, you mentioned earlier that when we first started, and I should go back to it that you, you're not you're not sure that it will. Uh, 
blend with modern instead of the people who grew up in the 80s? I know the book was like that. I mean, I don't think people who could read the book and think if they were like born 10 years ago or 12 years ago. Right. I mean, if like one of the parts in the trailer that I liked and I actually laughed out loud was when they started playing Jump as the theme song behind it. <laughs> and I, I just laughed at that moment. And then it just drew me into that moment of 1984 when that was the the song that was out. Right. It, it, that's classic rock now. Like Exactly. Right? It's, it's terrible. Exactly. Metallica is classic rock. But oh, whatever. But even with that, I'll be excited during the entire film looking for all those little Easter eggs oh, and... Yeah. That type of thing. I mean, it's gonna that's gonna make me want to go like multiple times. Right. Exactly. Like, they're gonna get. They're just gonna get a lot from me. It's, you, you know what it. The way it you is. know what it uh, makes me think of. It's like a. It's like a feature length version of the little clip at the end of a Marvel movie. <laughs> oh yeah, right. The teaser stuff. It, it has yeah. Come watch it next. It's like you it's know, like who can spot, who can spot all the, all the IPs in a single scene. I didn't even think of that till I just said it either that man I get I I will watch movies twice sometimes because I was sitting in a theater and I was in my front row and like I just couldn't see a good angle so I'm going to go watch that again and sit at a better seat and if that's enough to get me back in a theater this like IPs all over the screen 24/7 is going to be like I got to go watch it again that's <laughs> oh, terrible so just watch it be a really terrible movie and I'll still want to go back and watch this terrible movie but whatever that's how I that's how we roll, right, Fox? We got to watch the shows and watch them, right? <laughs> That's right. It. I'm already making plans to see Less Jedi twice. We're not going down that route, but I'm saying, I, I'm you know, sometimes there are movies that just warrant multiple viewings. Mm-hmm. Right. Hey, uh, uh, let's not go down the, the Last Jedi specifically, but how about um, you get you get advanced tickets nowadays for media screenings? I, w- I would assume for some things. Uh, yeah. Do you do you do you ever so you did you ever camp out? Did I for ever tickets? camped out? Yeah, for tickets or like for a meeting. Oh, I mean, right. well, yeah, I, I've definitely. I remember the last time. You know, oh gosh, I have a lot to say about that. Okay, so <laughs> I'll tell you one thing I don't like is that the lack of midnight screenings in the truest sense. Because I remember being in college and going at midnight. You weren't allowed to show the the film until it was 12:01 on that Friday. And now a midnight screening constitutes the Thursday night before all the way back up to 6 p.m., which I think is ridiculous. Um but yeah, I've definitely done that. I mean, I, I remember going to episode 3 and camping out for a few hours in the movie theater playing cards and things like that. Um you know, I, I will I, say I, I've I camped say- out Go ahead. I, sir, I gotta say, you should. I wish you could see the look on Pat's face when you said that you camped out for episode three. <laughs> well, well, I, I think wish she's missing the event. point, though. I mean, it was because it was because people were excited about it just because they wanted something to be excited about, not about the end product, which is definitely a disappointment. I mean, Tr- I will say, Trotsky and I and our other coworkers slept in Walmart to buy the Wii the night it came out. It's more wow. about the shared experience than yes, exactly. Yeah. And to that end, that's where Comic Con comes in. So I've I, I used to go to Comic Con many years in a row, and you would you'd camp out for what they call hall h which is where they would debut all this amazing footage you know i got to see scenes from avengers and man of steel and you know despite whatever happened to the end product being in that room was a special experience when people came on stage and you know debuted these clips and things like that or announced 
whole projects. I was there when they announced Days of Future Past. They brought the entire X-Men cast on the stage. So I'm with you, Dennis. I think you, you hit it perfectly that it's about the shared experience. But, you know, you're right. As as I've gotten older and, and been very fortunate with, with my with my film career that I've, I've had to camp out less and less. And I find myself less inclined to do so. In fact, the last time I was at Comic-Con, um, Hall H has gotten so crazy that you had to camp out literally a day in advance. And like spend an entire 24 hours to get into the main day of Saturday. And I remember walking to the Hall Beach in the middle of the night. It was like, you know, 9 p.m. to sleep overnight in line. I'm like, I'm a grown man. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm by myself and I'm going to sleep man. on concrete for trailers that are now released 24 hours later. It didn't used to be the case. That was the thing. Right. You got to see footage that nobody would see for maybe another six months to a year. Mm. So you had something special. Now there's nothing special about it because the panels are – streamed online and then the trailer comes out immediately after so so the sheen on that has has diminished for me as well as in the modern age you know i live in dc it's where our studio is and you can get you know tickets reserved so i have my seat reserved for last jedi so i'm not going to wait in line i'm going to go to the bar in the in the, in the yeah. theater and have a cocktail that i'm sure will be star wars themed or probably some blue milk drink and then i'll walk into my seat five minutes ahead of time so it's it's amazing how much that's changed with modern technology sorry for going off a rant there <laughs> and, and getting back though to waiting and waiting in line or waiting for the movie you mentioned waiting in the theater for a few hours, camping out in the theaters, but I think yeah. Mike might have been mentioning for episode one when we camped out overnight in order to buy the tickets three That's weeks, a, four weeks in advance right. That's prior awesome. to Fa Fandango or online purchasing at the event. They actually had – somebody brought a projector and projected the first three movies on the wall of the building next door. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Well, I, I will say in in sorry, I'm not trying to cut you off, but it, it's interesting in Hollywood. They still at the Chinese theater. They still do the the time honor tradition of waiting in line for Star Wars film, even though they don't have to. To the point where it's funny to your your point there, Pat. Like, like Kevin Smith is going to do an episode of Fat Man on Batman in the park to entertain the people waiting in line because now it's it's actually a charity event, which is really funny. Oh, nice. Hmm. Man, it's gonna be freezing. Like, the, you know, Star Wars used to be released in May, and it's, you can get, I mean, like... It's still Southern California. It's not going to be that Yeah, cold. it's not going to be freezing in Los yeah. Angeles. That's right. Actually, it, it'll be it'll get burning way down hot, to 45 right? Degrees it'll be or something. burning hot. <laughs> Sorry. Too soon. That was terrible. Too soon. Too soon. Uh, <sighs> I, actually, I actually went to the quote-unquote midnight show of um, Blade Runner 2049 Thursday night, and I didn't even realize it. My, Wait, my brother you, you Andrew was like, was? Did you, did he's like, yeah, break? let's let's go watch this movie. I think we went to like a nine o'clock show because he was writing a paper that he ended up not finishing. But um, we're like, well, if you finish this paper, we can go to the late show. And to me, okay. it was just a normal show. There were like five other people there. I, 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 see, I have a little twenty forty nine. I have a little which, uh, standing in line story that's that's kind of unique. I was uh, I was just I was just married. Like I was young when episode one came out and I'd been a lifelong Star Wars fan forever. I knew that I knew the stories. I've seen all the stuff about them, people camping out. And I've been part of a couple other things where they actually there were people in line camping out for tickets. Um, I got tickets, two tickets for 
um, the Phantom Menace, and I did have to stand in line for oh, about only about three hours, three or four hours, I think is what it was. It wasn't a long time. But I, I knew if I was standing in line for that and it sold out for the tickets, this was going to be ten times worse. It just wasn't a, a, a question in my mind. So I told my then new wife, I said, hey, uh, we got to we got to go stand in line for this early. we got to be there early. And she's like, uh, whatever. I was like, well, we, we had also a little baby at the time, and we were going to take her at the to the babysitter. And I was like, we should really take Hope to the to the babysitter, like, four to six hours early and she's like that's just crazy that's just that's just crazy why would you do it? i don't understand that and i was like i started to get really like upset i was like i'm not going to just show up 10 minutes before this is this is preposterous and it's, it's terrible so i did i went after right off i got off work i went there and actually i left work at noon to go to go early um i got there at about see for the midnight showing i think it was about three o'clock um so i was like hey i'm here are you coming? She's like, no, I'm going to go do this and run some errands first. Like, I don't think that they're going to let you just jump in. Like you think they're just going to let you (laughs) jump in. Right. And so I get in line and I was kind of hot and ticked and she shows up at about nine 30, 10 o'clock at night. The line is wrapped around the block. You know, the people have, there's people obviously been camping out in front of me since the night before. And she's and she's just all mad that like this is insane. Why would people do this? I don't understand this. What's the point of this? And then she was mad that the people behind did not want to let her in. You know, they just they just weren't going to let her do it. And, they, and there were people, security guards and stuff. So she was so mad at me and went back to the back of the line. Now we were fortunate that the people that I sat in the theater were really kind and were like, yeah, we'll, we'll let you save that seat for your wife coming in at the back of the line. But I was facing possible doghouse for like months by just you know forcing her to go see phantom minutes first of all after that that debacle and then uh her having to sit way in the front corner and me right in the middle but yeah i so, think i've so really camped out long, since long then. story short that relationship didn't work out yeah that didn't work out if piece of advice don't do that <laughs> relationship advice there i don't know well, anyway, the, the, this this wait, is. Wait a minute. Was it she that's not supposed to do that, or you that's not supposed? Yeah, to Yeah, she that? wasn't supposed to do that. You are supposed to stand in line <laughs> for a healthy relationship. This isn't Nam. There are rules. There are rules. Nice. Oh God. Well, I I uh, I am looking forward to the Last Jedi. That'll be fun. Um, it's we were talking about when we're going to talk about that. Um, our our recording thing's going to be weird, so we may not be able to what. Record it, record it for, or send it out until January, which is going to suck, and everybody's going to be like, "Yeah, that's old hat." But I'm looking now, forward you, to it. You're going this weekend, Mike. Yeah, I'm Thursday Pat and I are going Friday, Thursday, whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. To the, I'm, to the, I'm probably going to gonna try and go this weekend. I'm going to, I'm going to earn a little uh, ire from the rest of my family because we've had a pseudo annual tradition of going to a family movie over the holidays. It was hmm. those three horribly disappointing Hobbit movies. <laughs> and uh and then, and then star wars since then but my my brother-in-law down in tennessee is not gonna wait so like if if everyone's not waiting then i don't feel bad then we can talk about it next week it'll go up whatever like christmas day we're not gonna yeah, christmas, christmas, christmas day for everybody but, the gift that keeps on giving yeah. right well I, i'll probably have seen it two or three times by then i'm sure but i don't know it, it's coming back good reviews so i'm excited about that and, um we can talk about what I think of reviews later, but when Fox <laughs> isn't in the room, 
So, <laughs> so hey, okay. So we got so much to talk about with with role playing. We gotta we gotta get into that, or we're gonna be on movies again all day, um, which is <laughs> terrible for me to keep talking in. Um, hey, so we started this Star Trek Adventures thing. Um, you and I kind of talked about it a little bit, kind of Dennis, you know, prefacing where we're coming and what we're gonna do. Uh, it's been your first official. DMing. How, how do you feel? Are you feeling shell shocked? Uh, nervous? Excited? Did it help you any of the nerves? Um, shouldn't it be SM like Starship Master and not like uh, you know? Master? Yeah. Well, what's, what is it called? Is it called the Master? Is that what it's called? Or what is it even called? Game Master. I think they can. Oh, wow. they, they say. They say. I don't know. Is it one of those terms copyrighted by Wizards? I don't think so. I just think people know that's D and D. They're not. They're not like jerks. Like. Wizard of the Coast is with tapping. Right, right. But how, um, how do you feel about it? A pretty good, positive overall, I think. Um, why don't we... Uh, I mean, our our listeners have a pretty good sense by now of, of yours and my background. Why don't why don't we get... Um, Fox, why don't you give us your your uh, history with, with role-playing games? Sure, I'd be happy to. So, I mean, I got into it in, intriguingly older in life. You know, I think unlike probably something you on the show, I know you, Mike. Um, one of my one of my first actually experiences learning about Dungeons and Dragons was from from Mike. So he and I, he had graciously um, offered to drive me back from Gen Con back to Bloomington, where I was working on a dissertation, and we spent the entire ride um, with him giving me the fantastic history of D. D&D and Pathfinder and how the game was played and you know the basic mechanics and so when I came back to to DC uh, I had some friends who were moving back to the area there there are people who are on the podcast Felgi Scholars who wanted to get into it because they had gotten into it um, in Wisconsin because there's nothing else to do there it's so snowy you might as well play role playing games eventually um, you and run so, out of cheese <laughs> right you yeah you cheese. eat cheese drink whiskey and play D&D so, so I start off as a player um, and I'm very lucky that my wife is someone when she gets into something she gets really into it so she like within a day that I had sort of broached this idea you know we had all the books at our house and things like that and uh, we, you know she was like reading the monster manual for fun rather than other things <laughs> Um, and so I start off as a player, I think like most other one, most other players or most other DMs, and then eventually played with a few different dungeon masters that I, I did a one-off campaign um, where I uh, I actually ran a heist, which was really fun. Uh, I had a, a bunch of people who had to rob something from a bank, and it was very Indiana Jones meets Ocean's Eleven themed. Um, and then uh, after that, I got feedback and, and, and sort of um, – did, did another longer campaign with my wife and did another long with, with a group of people. I did a, a one-off that I don't I think was cut from this show, but infamously at Gen Con, <laughs> where I did a Star Trek, not Star Trek Adventures, but a Star Trek-themed D&D &D, uh, um, module for all the people on this show, which was a ton of fun, maybe the most fun I've ever had playing Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and then now I'm working on sort of a, a more long-form long epic quest um, I don't, I'm going to tell my wife not to listen to this episode because what I've gotten her for her big holiday gives, I've been working on this mod with this basically this quest for four months. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's what I'm giving her as her major holiday gift is a no. giant D and D game. Yeah. And so, so I'm really excited about it. So I'll pause there. Um, a, you know, more or less, handmade I, you Christmas, know, handmade holiday. Yeah. 
yeah, super geek courses. But I will say the thing that has been really good for me is talking to people and getting feedback about the way I I run games because uh, people have given me lots of great advice over the years. Um, other DMs who have been players and things like that. And the number one thing they said that you have to remember is, you know, basically you have to be prepared for anything. Um, people ready to break your game and ready to do things you're not expecting. No and you have to be able to roll with it really fast. Um, so that's sort of the best advice I ever got. So I'll pause there. I'm happy to answer any more specific questions. But, um, you know, I, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's I think it's tricky and, and hard and something you have to actually study for. It's not like playing other games where you sort of sit down and just roll with it. Uh, no pun intended. But you do have to sort of be, you know, on the edge of everything to, to be prepared to go in any direction. Uh, I got to say on the, on the Michael and Dennis uh, relationship advice show here that we've got, uh, ladies, if you're looking away to a, to a man's heart, it's a uh, read the monster's manual for, you know, happily Absolutely. and then accept uh, campaigns as uh, Christmas gifts that, that will, that will <laughs> solidify you with any man. And Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a similar <laughs> That's a similar remark that that Michael made on one of our previous episodes that he reads the the handbook, and so I've I've started reading the handbook for Star Trek Adventures, but um, the the, I, the iPad Mini and PDFs don't really play nice, so mm. it's 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 a real hassle just to scroll around on the page. You'll have to get this thing called a book. Yeah, um, they, they're, yeah. They're, they're, they're it's all new, Dennis. Dennis. It's a new thing. It's just it's hard to read a physical book in bed. <laughs> When no, it's not. Years. Netflix. They make movies with people sitting in bed reading books. It's a real thing. Yeah. And, and then somebody they also make these called lights. I don't know if that would help. No, it's, so are, it's, are you talking it's, about audio books? The light. I don't understand this concept. This concept of paper? <laughs> it's from trees. That's wood. a podcast. This, this that tree. sounds like anti-environmental uh, what, to me. I'm like, <laughs> <why not? laughs> uh, what oh. about you, Pat? Um, well... I was considering this when you asked me to come on the show, and as far as pen and paper, tabletop role-playing games, my first experience was when we started this most recent campaign of Dungeons and & Dragons, and I started at age 42. So, <laughs> and how old are you now, Pat? 43. <laughs> You're going to be 44 soon, I'm sure, right? <laughs> Something like that. Um, prior to that, my only experience in high school, I wanted to play, but I didn't know anybody who would have been a dungeon master or would have been putting these kinds of games on. So my first experience with Dungeons and Dragons would have been the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon hmm. from the eighties, uh, which I oh, hope wow. to have a uh, cameo in the ready player one, but right. That'd then, be awesome. Yeah, like the, would the, be the awesome. ranger with the bow. Then uh, probably my next real experience with a turn-based role-playing game would have been Lord of the Rings, the third age which my wife, my ex-wife, gave me, or had us play. And then uh, Baldur's Gate, which was interesting as a video game as well, a and d based video game that wasn't turn-based, but had those same concepts of quests and getting through different checkpoints right. and having those larger battles. And it had, then, like, classes, too, and things like that. Right, so. and then you upgraded the same way right. and had all that kind of stuff. The... Most recent experience, as I mentioned, is with the real Dungeons and Dragons, and then on to Star Trek Adventures. So, so, so your first like made up role playing character that was Castian, right? That's that's your Castian first Castian Wildborn from from scratch, and he's from really scratch. he's really. It's funny how things start from a piece of paper and they're just stats and, and numbers turning into years to their actual like. It feels like a living, breathing story character that has something have some meaning, right? 
Yes, I, I think you should be more drunk. He doesn't drink enough. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> he was supposed to have, that was supposed to be one of his limitations, was being a drunk and getting a little bit angry at uh, specific situations. And I've only done that a few times. I think that role-playing should have been included a little bit more often. Hey, I, I'm thinking now we can spoil some We can spoil some of our campaign stuff because um, I think by the time this airs, we may actually have finished our campaign so we can talk some things about that Castian had done. You don't think so? You don't think so? I don't even know what would be spoiler at this point. I well, think everything came out. I'll say so, some of the things that Castian... Pat's character, it's 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 fun about role-playing games is that you can do things that you can't do, say, in a Baldur's Gate, that you can't do in a... You have a choice in Mass Effect or any other kind of computer role-playing game that you have four choices to do to answer this. And they all basically go down the rail of here's the right answer you have to do. But uh, Pat comes into the, to a situation in D&D where we're, we're like, he wants to go kill somebody. Or you killed that dwarf, is that what it was? You killed a dwarf, or did you? Yeah, I announced that though in the game, so that's not a spoiler. Okay, yeah. So, so Pat just decided to kill a guy, like kill a guy in his sleep um, without the party knowing. I think he was a prisoner or something, and that just dramatically changes everything, and it just goes off on a on a left field of what the heck, what's going on, and actually a lot of those things I got blamed for. You know, oh, yeah. you're you're just you're rail you're running the rail, or you're doing whatever. You know, it's your fault, and it was going to happen anyway. <laughs> But uh, it, it's it was cool to see things like that's how Castian kind of develops, and you are, reinforce. Are you those saying? Stuff. Are you saying that Castian um, spent a session uh, traveling to Chicago to meet his uh, long lost science sister? Who's that? I'm, I'm missing it. I have no idea what you're talking about, Dennis. We're missing it. It's a, it's a Stranger Things reference. Come on. Oh God, I get it. Do you watch Stranger Things? I did. I haven't gotten. All the way through, so I don't know. So you, you spoiled it for him. No. Yeah. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it's been out for months. That's right. <laughs> no, but what's interesting, what you mentioned is one of the things that I really liked about that particular interaction. There was another one like it, but I liked that I talked to you about it uh, outside of the game, and then you insisted we have another situation inside the game where we passed pieces of paper back and forth so that mm-hmm. they knew something was going on. And then I had to explain there was something going on, but uh, but still being able to have set it up. That's something cool about like a a real life interaction, right? In a game that you, you right. can't get anywhere else or in any kind of medium is that that you can have this uh, real charisma kind of based thing where you have to act on the fly and and make things right. up as you go along. Uh, so Fox, you've not so you've not, this is the first time with this Star Trek group that you've been a player, is that right? No, I've played. I mean, I've, I started off as a player, so I. But the first time playing Star Trek Adventures, so so for me, you know, it's fascinating. It, just to, to turn in this direction, it's fascinating to, for me to read how different people get value out of the game or what they enjoy. So for me, like my favorite part of it is someone who you know dabbled in musical theater, you know, many many years ago. Is I love the role playing. Like I like to step into my character right. and try to imagine what they're going to say or how they're going to act. Whereas other people, I think, and I, I value this as well, want to understand how the mechanics work and how can you, you know, use them to your advantage in terms of you know, what do you roll? What skill do you use? What tool do you use? What are the rules of the game so you can understand how to maximize? Not winning because I don't think anyone tries right. to win at D and D or Star Trek Adventure or any other role playing game, but maximize the Pete sort does. of the <laughs> yeah. I mean the idea that you're basically trying to 
overcome the scenario as it were. Right. Uh, that Dennis and I, we talked about a couple weeks ago about the, the term is role playing versus role playing. And that's R O L E versus R O L L. Um, yeah. And yeah, I get that. Right. But without going into it too in depth, I think that sometimes it depends on the person, but the best way to do, in my opinion of years of experience that I've seen the most fun come out of everybody is a blend of both. Um, being able to, I fully agree. Being able to, and I think as a DM, it's trying to encourage sessions where there's role playing, there's role playing, and then there's you know maybe a mixture. We we almost have sometimes Pat right that where we where we're like tonight's just a big role playing session. We had one with Dennis and Fox where yes. most of it wasn't dice rolls, um, and yeah, for, it was just arguments. It's just arguments, right? But, but that's I mean diplomacy. That's, <laughs> that's right. Uh, and, and we have, it's great. You'll have the people whose ears will, you know, peak up at that, that when that happens and, and that's, they have fun with that. And then there's other people who are completely bored when that's happening. They don't, they don't like thinking like that. They don't like talking. They're not a charismatic person per se. Um, and if you've got a good balance of a group, it makes it really fun. I, I was just kind of joking in our group me chat that I'm fine with like Fox talking to everybody, but I like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that, that we can come to a thing and Pat's got this part down and we know that when we come up, I'm fine with like knowing that Fox has got that down, you know, and each person gets their own fun out of each, that kind of thing. Well, it's funny because I think what you're alluding to there, Mike, and I agree with very, very much so is that the balance of the party is what makes it fun. Yeah. Um, and that both goes for the characters. So you, you've sort of a breadth of characters that, you know, can do different things. Some people are smart. Some people are charismatic. Some people are brawny. And then the same way about the players themselves. I agree. If you were trying to make the optimal group to play a role playing game, you want people who like have the rules guide, you know, photo memory in there, you know, ready to go or willing to look that stuff up in order to make the game interesting and fun and stay on point, as well as those people who are like willing to dress up more or less and, right. and play the game in character. I agree. The balance there is what makes any game the most fun. If so, for anyone listening who's like, how do I make the game as best as possible? That's really what it is. It's that combination. Yeah, I, I've played in groups that have been tilted both ways too like it's been people who dress dress up and and what's that show dennis that you that you'd watched with the uh the star trek adventures one where they do that you know? um that's geek and sundry's uh shield of tomorrow series right so so they're they're basically just a ton of that they're all like big huge role players and, and that's fun and they love it <clears throat> so i think that can really work well too and i've also been people in a in a group of adventurers where it was basically playing tactical minis that it, it wasn't like role playing at all. It's like, let's go to the next one. Okay, yeah. That's check. That that's out. been most of my, most of my experience playing, uh, playing Pathfinder was with a group who they, they did role playing, but it was a lot. We did a lot of combat. We did random encounters and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was with that group, it was most fulfilling to me after my first character died when I re-rolled a ranger who ex <laughs> exploited some powerful attacks and stuff that was, you know, uh, contributed greatly to those combat scenarios. Um, I've also played with groups that had no minis or, or maps or whatever. We were basically LARPing without costumes. 
um, or accents, I guess. I don't know. I never <laughs> LARPed, but I, I see. Dennis so um, for for Mike and and Fox, when you guys started DMing, did you? If I guess if you'd been playing for a while, did you start out um, with a with a with your own written campaign, or did you start out with some uh, some other materials? Uh, yeah, I don't mind jumping in first. The first one I ever did was something I wrote by myself. Um, and I that was I was happy I did it, but if I could go back, I did it all wrong. Like, <laughs> I did not have enough detail. I'll tell you, that was sort of my problem, that I was sort of like, oh, you know, when they get to this point, I'll figure it out. And, you know, I had, I had a basic skeleton character, you know, a skeleton in place. I didn't pre-write dialogue. I didn't pre-write a lot of flavor text, you know. And so people would ask me questions like, well, what does this room look like? And I had to scramble. And then it's very tough to scramble and keep it consistent you know mm-hmm. later on if, if if there are maybe details that people latch on to so i will say that i felt like people i mean it was a lot of fun but people found sort of loopholes where they're like well you said this was made of wood so i'm burning it down yeah. you know like that kind of thing <laughs> i didn't intend for that to happen i didn't think through that right. maybe it should be made of stone you know that kind of thing so that was the lesson i learned i was really excited the first time out where i ran a campaign um and it was my own creation but i think that i didn't give it enough time and effort and that's sort of i think the big no-no when you're dming is that you need to go in as a super prepared to think through each room and basically say okay what could people do that would be crazy because usually people play with smart people um and they're going to come up they're looking for that creative solution they're looking for a way to do something crazy um because that's what's fun for them and i i encourage that and you have to be ready for those things. So I started by making my own campaign. I have done pre-run ones from Wizards of the Coast, which I've enjoyed, but I've since found them now restrictive because now I've, I've sort of oscillated back towards the other way. Like I did my own, I've done theirs, and now that I know enough, um, I'm ready to do my own again. But I think it takes a lot of time and patience and education personally. Mike, what about you? Uh, okay, so – I'll, I'll do mine through an interview through one of my players, which is Pat. Uh, I, I, I started out doing basically what I do now and the experience you've had Pat with, um, playing D and D is how I DM. How do you think this campaign has, has been? Is it, is it been from a module or have I written it? Oh, I think it's been from a module with a lot of flair, a lot of added flair from, from you or also <laughs> from looking at nice. I think you've augmented it with some original stuff from other people. Uh, well, I know you have. Hmm. Uh, but I also know that it's you always have the uh, Tiamat book out. So I do. Uh, that, that's that's exactly right. It's the that is that's how I've done it from the beginning. I've always I, I've always gotten a module. Uh, what was the first one that I ever did? Um, it was one of the first edition modules. Um, I know I know in the second edition I played Chateau d'Amberville was one of my first ones. Um, but I got a module that was available to me at the library or whatever it was. And I read the crap out of it. I mean, I like like you said, Fox, I just studied and I studied. And, I, and it was yeah. crazy that I spent so much time learning all the lore because these adventure modules have so much lore. And Dennis, you've mentioned like what the Star Trek one has a lot, right? The book, the, the book has a lot. Well, of the, the book oh. and, the, and the world itself. I mean, it's had you seen it that five, six TV shows, however many movies there have to be like 15 or something. 
And I'm assuming the book has all that lore, right? Yeah, I had like the first three or four chapters are just lore and technical specs and talking about the various species and the and the history. Yeah, the various races. It's, and then they have to do it across several different their, generations. Yeah, their their main setting is right before um, Voyager goes looking for the Maquis okay. in the, the pilot episode of Voyager. And so it describes what's going on with Deep Space Nine and the Gamma Quadrant and the Dominion, and it's all that exact time. Like, you can adapt the system for any time period that you want but that's their that's their starting setting and so they they start out describing like here's here are the bajorans and this is who they are and here are the cardassians and this is who they are and here are the ferengi and so it's all of that man i I, uh, i'd have to just say if i if i was i know we're going a little off off here but if i was writing a a a camp or a uh, source book for star trek it would just say watch shows you know that's just all it would be like if you want to play this go watch the shows then you go but anyway uh yeah so the, the point was is that there's lore i mean there's there's a lot of lore in these books there's a lot of things that you will never use and aren't important at all uh but i read them all i mean i read it all like just in case because i was terrified that players were going to burn my house down to to get on that is that I, I was worried that i had to know everything you know who knows what they're going to say how would i do it um how am i supposed to role play these innkeepers or this NPC, you know, how am I supposed to do that? if I don't know everything they know? Um, and it, it was a little overwhelming because no matter how much an intelligent I was, I would forget and I could reference things, but I would just like, Oh yeah, it was, it took a lot of time me looking at it. Um, and as I started to going on, I started realizing that the best way to play is to use those as guidelines so that, that you just, um, read you get the idea of what this is going to be and how it's going to work and then you just go with it you're you're making the story up too and you know the bones of the story you know okay they got to hit here and they got to hit here or here and there's some options but the world that's what i get to make i mean i get to make the characters you know i get to be uh there's a thief there's not thief there's a the head of the that thieves guild uh in zentil keep that can that girl that lady, Pat, you know, talk about with the yes, thing. yes, yes. So that's like that. She doesn't have any character at all. She barely says any lines in the in the module, but she became this like very vixeny type character because it was just something that I played with on the fly. Um, nice. And I would not have known that. I would have expected that to be a core part of that. No, it's just, it's just yeah, and it's just that's the fun part. It's just kind of like interacting with the players in that kind of experience, and it's really cool. And then also throughout the years, I have just from experience, realized that this isn't good. Like this is, I, I re, I've met many writers in person and talked to them and played with, played games with them at like winter fantasy at origins and stuff. And they're good people. They're better at it than I am, but they don't know everything and they don't get it right. It's also not, it's play tested, but it's not like perfect. And it's, it's just not a right. microcosm. So they don't get it right every time. And it's sort of, it's sort of the difference between, um, like, if you're in a play, memorizing lines mm-hmm. versus, like, sort of method acting, like mentally knowing the material the enough to know what you can and, do with it. So, and like, then just, I always and then think just of so that if you don't get if you don't get your cue, if your if your co-star on the stage doesn't say the thing they're supposed to say, you can fill in the gap without leaving the audience hanging with a big awkward pause, and it's sort of 
but as, as if I'm understanding what you're saying, Mike, it's sort of the same way. Like we had that problem in our in our play test of of Star Trek Adventures because I was going from a pre-made uh, quick start mission, and the the first page or so of the mission had, um, you know, whatever different colored dialogue that I as the GM was supposed to read, and so I got about that far a page or two in a. You know, it wasn't super long. It's like six pages. So I read the first two and I was like, okay, well, this is just going to walk me through it because it's like, read this and then have your players make this check and then this. So when we got to situations later in the story, I was like, um, what is this guy supposed to do? And so I'm there like reading it and figuring out how to ad lib on the spot because I expected it to have more detail. Right. And, and can um, I use a, a obviously... key reference here? Um, <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people are very happy with the way the original Star Wars trilogy turned out, especially Harrison Ford's performance as Han Solo. And a lot of his best lines and a lot of his best interactions were ad-libbed because he had the ability to understand the character of Han Solo, perhaps even better than George Lucas himself. Sure. So for example, we, like the, the infamous line of I love you and then he responds, I know, was completely ad-libbed um, because <laughs> he had done it so many times that he was trying to be funny, but he realized that if he said it in that way, it would be in conjunction with his character. So I think that's a it's a similar thing that what you all are talking about is you know enough to not be, you know, to you don't want to be robotic, but you also want to know enough that you can, as you said, sort of be ad-libbing or ad hoc, you know, changing the story or changing the dynamic to keep it interesting and to keep it fresh given what is thrown at you because you have no idea. You have no idea who's going to kill whom or who's going to try and scale the wall for right. some odd reason, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, it's sort of like uh, I think somebody, I think it was Mike, mentioned um, role-playing video games where you have like the um, the conversation wheel kind of thing and you know you as a person cannot memorize or even record all of the dialogue options that are possible in a even in a even in a fixed system like a like a a dialogue wheel and so to 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 box yourself in with that level of preparation is not gonna not gonna serve you when you know your players spend 20 minutes deciding how they're gonna do a medical scan when they've already figured out all the answers that you have to give them using common sense. Yeah, and, and an, uh, another really which, good, which is what you guys did. good piece of advice with the way, or not advice, but something that I really enjoy doing that I think works well is uh, you learn your players. So when we start, uh, we start playing, the first adventure or two is pretty much on rails or it's got, I'm running through the story, kind of what we're doing, and then you start realizing people's personalities or or if you're playing as a dm you're encouraging them to play their characters the way the way they are uh you're just creating that environment you you coax out of them who they are and what that what how they are because they their players are really excited to play their characters they really are and and then you realize that this character is a that we have uh trotsky and i know how to politely on a pg-13 uh, podcast explain trotsky's character a to one but you don't talk about pat right so it's he's very promiscuous. Is that the is that the word for him? Uh, he he loves people. He loves people. That's right. He loves people. <laughs> so he and, and and because of that, would you would you call him a philanderer? He's he's something, a, not a philanthropist. Okay. Let's put it that way. Uh, 
So, so it, anyway, he he is that kind of a character. So when I think of characters being this X, Y, or Z, I know that like, hey, I, if I'm reading an adventure that we come to, like, oh, this character will probably interact well with Adolin, you know, and and then I can build up that relationship. Or um, let's say we have a special person in, which was like, you know, Dennis and Fox on, on a thing, um, building that relationship in with, uh, oh, they really talked to Fox's character or they really talked to Dennis's character. That dragon doesn't necessarily have to come back. Remember the dragon did come back to Cree. That's yeah. not in the, that's not in the, the campaign at all or adventures. It's just that I wanted that reinforced thing for Cree to have all the time and to have a moment. So you right. create you create moments for the players that are interesting and fun for their characters on their own that necessarily doesn't change the whole storyline because you still need them to get to the mountain or you still need to get them to a spot, but you just you just create different ways for them to get to that spot. Uh, another example is uh, the storyline that we're going now is uh, they they get to they they do all their big huge campaign thing they have a big council meeting. And the story says, uh, then they decide to um, go straight to the big last fight, which is the big tunnel. That goes straight from the last council meeting to there. But at that point when reading it, it was very cut and dry boring. It was like, okay, it's just all that stuff was on a Excel spreadsheet. Here's the answer. Here's the results. Now go fight the last boss. And that just didn't have any kind of character wrapping, character involvement. Um, so when I started reading that, I started realizing we need more, we need more to that. We need more stakes. We need more things to get them involved. So we, we had our players through kind of their own decisions. I had them, uh, our dwarf goes off to the dwarf kingdom to rally the dwarves on his own thing. And he kind of made that decision on his own. And he's like, I want to go talk to these people. And I let that happen with the idea that he's going to come back. And then I put ramifications to that. I had, uh, one of the, the, uh, Pat's main guy die, and that's not in there either. He's Dylan Winterhound is a huge character in the Forgotten Realms. They would never let him die, but he's dead. And then that allowed Pat to step up with Castian and take in that now character role of Dylan Winterhound. And that's not in the, the, the story. It's not written that way. But all of a sudden, Pat as a player has a lot more fun and a lot more interesting things. He's more engaged, and he is now a part of the story. He's just not a random the, character. One of the interesting things about the Star Trek adventure system, to go back to your uh, where you started with um, uh, the characters' sort of archetypes, yeah, um, is that they've actually integrated that into the game system in the form of values. So you guys interacted All with right. this uh, fa fairly late in our session. There are certain... Um, in video games, you would call it like a big cooldown you can use or a, or heroic ability um, that you can trigger if if you if it aligns with your values in a way that makes sense in the in the storytelling. Um, and I, I thought that was particularly cool. So you guys have been doing this um, this campaign for what, a year and a half? Two years. Two years. Yeah, we're in two years. Um, because I think Aaron's gone and, to, and you said you gone to Antarctica like twice, I think. Right, you, you you've had players uh, going on trips and 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 whatnot. Right. Um, so Pat, you said you hadn't played D and D before this campaign, is that right? That's correct. Um, so after two years, 
would you say that you're more of a an R-O-L-L dice role player or an R-O-L-E improv role player? I think I'm generally with D&D more of a dice R-O-L-L player. The, the problem with it is, and I think Mike really brought this up, is that I don't know the history in D&D. I don't know the lore. I don't know the difference between Waterdeep and Baldur's Gate and what their history is versus mm-hmm. anywhere else in the universe. One of the things that I was really excited about with the Star Trek Adventures is I probably know that as well as anybody in our group does, and I really understand that lore. So when they were talking about some of the options that you can have of having clever ways to solve problems within the system to get rid of disadvantages or gain advantages based on that history and lore, I think that interested me a lot more. I struggle with the role-playing part of it for Dungeons and Dragons simply because of that. I don't have, I have trouble immersing myself in a world that I don't have any experience with, even after two years, because it's all been the same group of people, it's all been the same lore. Whereas with Star Trek, I think I have the history and, and would be more interested in trying to find ways to do that kind of role playing. What 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 do you what do you think and I'd like to hear this from Fox and you actually is what do what are you guys thinking for role R O L E characters? Like not your stats or your class person well maybe class. I guess you, you can start with class, but what do you what are you thinking? Well I think I'm gonna go off book with uh Dennis and force Dennis to help me create a Ferengi engineer <laughs> Uh, no, really. <laughs> we're gonna have a Ferengi. Way to go, Dennis! <laughs> he's he's always trying to sell parts off the ship on the. <laughs> I'm gonna be quoting the uh, rules of acquisition. That that actually every, would be amazing. Yeah. That would be awesome. Do they have Ferengis in there? Is that why you're gonna go off book? They don't have, like, they don't have a race set up as oh. Ferengi, but it specifically says at the end when you're creating the characters that you can work with your DM to figure out what the values would be, what oh. the what the uh, skills would be. Like, I would imagine Ferengi would have some negotiation skills, but less leadership, less control, uh, and have some other... Oh, man, you got to uh, make this happen. Things. you got to make that happen. <laughs> that would be I, bet, awesome. I, I, I bet somebody on Reddit has, has come up with Oh, I'm sure it's all there. The, oh, okay. The, the, sub, the subreddit for Star Trek Adventures is not huge, but... Every every couple days, I see somebody on there with a new, new ship type, new race setting, something like that. I, that sounds fun, though. But for our first adventure that we did, I intentionally took the uh, warrior tank kind of character because it's so different than what I've been doing in D anD D, where I'm really the ranged. I'm standing in the back and just firing arrows at everybody. Or that's why you ran in with your like melee weapon. Yeah, that's exactly like, what I did. It was charging. perfectly within keeping of the security character. He had, or she had a, a, melee, a melee weapon. She had a knife to go in that did all kinds of damage. And uh, it, it seemed in keeping with the character as well. Cool. So I was really interested in doing that. So, so, so are you serious? Were you, think, you think about doing a Ferengi? I mean, that would be cool to do acquisition rules for to Dennis all the time. Or throw those out to Fox who's like, <laughs> you know, no, we've got to go by this. <laughs> all right fox what, what are you going to do from an r-o-l-e standpoint what, what are you thinking yeah 
I mean, for me, like what's important is that I want to consider how my person feels. I want to consider their <laughs> okay. alignment, which is what we call in, in, in Dungeons and Dragons. Like what kind of person are they and what do they want to achieve? And I, in my mind, I like to close my eyes and actually try to picture the situation and talk like my character. I don't know if I'll go so far as to add a character voice or dress up remotely, <laughs> but I think it's We're fun. We're using video, man, of... if we do. We, you're, we yeah, exactly. But I mean, video, I think so I, think I can, <laughs> in my mind, given who I'm playing, with i'm going to lean into that more to add that to hopefully add that balance and add that level of entertainment not that no one else does that but like i appreciate the fact that pat is going to know the rules really well and educate me on on you know what is happening and call out the dm when the dm doesn't you know abide by said rule set i really love that so what i think i can contribute is the fact that i'm going to think about the uniform I'm wearing and the muck I'm standing in and what that feels like and sounds like. And I want to try and be visceral to help try to paint that picture because in my mind, my my role and I think everyone's role in a role-playing game is to make the experience as fun as possible. And I know that's a probably a strength of mine, um, whereas rule learning is not. And so I'm going to try and lean into that strength to make it as enjoyable for everyone else as possible. So, so what kind of what kind of character, though? Like, so if, if you're sitting here today, oh, let, let's yeah. just say you've got your eyes closed and you're envisioning <laughs> yeah, yeah. this thing you want to create, what kind of person are you? Some, something you something he for? can method act, obviously. Yeah, come on. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. So, so, um, well, I think I. No, I like that. I, I mean, I think that I'm going to be a rather, you know, if I'm going to be very, very simplistic about it, I want to be somewhere between Picard and Riker. Yeah, okay. I want a first officer who is eyeing that captain's chair, who feels that are deserving of it, but because they're so hot-headed and brash, um, they don't quite get it. And but they're they're skilled and they're knowledgeable and they've done well at Starfleet and they've you know passed all the tests and they've. But at the same time, they're just not quite ready to command several people. But you're going to you know be, you're going to be, like, uh, but you're going to be what's it? Uh, uh, a go getter, one that's uh, I'm yeah. Starfleet, Starfleet. This is my thing. Yeah, right. They're very intense about Starfleet, you know. And it's funny because I said to myself, I'm not really a rules person, but I'm going to make up Starfleet protocol <laughs> on the fly to pretend like I know the whole, you know, the right. prime directive and the secondary directive and whatever comes after that. Um, yeah, I think that'll be fun. I think they'll be they'll be authoritative and and confident, but that will also bite them in the behind as well that's well, sort of what i'm envisioning for my character um someone who could be a leader but then also you have the, the people behind them who are like oh him again you know that yeah. kind of thing well the, that's that's that is a very riker character i try i, I always thought of riker as is the, the people's leader but actually there's so many episodes where they have him and i think of the one where they had okay i can't talk star trek i'm, I'm off the of star trek top <laughs> but I'm, I'm on a i'm on a rule here we're, we're, we're making an exception to that rule just for this oh, okay so there, there's a there's a there's a, there's a episodes where he's with ro laren a lot of times and he, he and also mm-hmm. the one where i borg i think is what it's called where he becomes the, the, the thing and he's got another first officer he starts becoming this super rules lawyer type uh, you know, Starfleet protocol type c- character. And, you know, I am in charge type thing, uh, which is, I think that is Riker. So that sounds kind of what you're going for there, which is cool. Uh, because if you look at, like, uh, if you try to create a Kirk character, at least Abrams versus Kirk, he is not that. He is absolutely would not say that, oh, that you're, I would say, Fox, you're not going to be Kirk. Because Kirk no, is. No, no, I'm not Kirk. Right. Kirk yeah. is, Kirk is a, I'm, I'm only part of Starfleet because I get to do the fun, you know. If, yeah, no, he, yeah. 
what is it five years i'll do it in three something like that yeah, yeah right he's not he's not really in, in, interested right, in right. that kind of thing all right mike so what what about you oh, and dude I, I haven't really thought the worst part about thinking about it is be, I, I don't i haven't played in so long like i, I don't I haven't played rpgs mm-hmm. in so long and, and i love the storytelling aspect all the things we've been talking about um Oh, because you've been DMing. Yeah, because I've been DMing. I I, I love the storytelling. I love making an, an interesting thing. So I I like to hear what Pat's doing and what Fox is doing and what Chris is doing, so that I can like, okay, I want to pick something that's not any of those. You know what I mean? And not just the class wise. I'm talking about you know, okay, we've got a um, philanderer or we've got a a Starfleet Corps officer. You know, maybe I'll end up playing like a Guinan character. You know, who's the the counselor or, or something. I often picture you as a sassy black woman. Sa- I could be. Yes. <laughs> I, maybe in another life I was a sassy black woman. Uh, but yeah, I, I haven't really thought too much about it. I really should. I really should. How do you feel going on that with having two experienced DMS, uh, being actual players in this? How do you think that dynamic will work out? Uh, for me, I'm loving it. I mean, I, I thought I've kind of sent, Dennis, a, a little message. I'm not sure if he got it, but I, a message about, I thought that he did great. I thought that was fun. I, I never felt like... Agreed. I never felt that I, I needed to step forward. And when I did say like, oh, well, the book says this. Actually, I had Pat, again, to, to say uh, he was looking it up kind of the same way I was at the same time. And when we needed that to happen, Dennis rolled with it really well. I never felt like... I was slighted in any way, and then Dennis kept it going. So as his experienced DM, it felt fine and fun. I feel like a lot of that was alleviated by the level playing field of us all coming to the system relatively new. Like, even I, as the person who had done the most sort of research into the game, still was completely lost. I'm like, uh, where are the rules for avoiding damage again yeah i mean a lot of the rules just weren't there in the quick start it and i think that the players that we had were advanced enough in general on games that they um were looking to find those times where the rules were they were looking ahead at some of that stuff and they knew that this wasn't right especially on avoiding damage so they were looking for, well, this doesn't make any sense. Why would we do it this way? And then if you go in and read the full rule set and look at how that's supposed to happen, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, things like our, our, our shared skills. I think it was Fox that had said things like, you know, we can't all be using the tricorder or something like that. You know, I know it says it. And I was like, well, the right. rule said that. And it didn't make any sense. We all agreed it makes sense. But the, the thing was is that I felt comfortable, even as a DM, just being fine with whatever Dennis said. I mean, it, he he didn't seem. I guess I've played with people that are terrible DMs, terrible DMs. <laughs> they they don't know any of the rules, and they sure. Congratulations, you're not terrible. Right. That's what you say. Right. Not quite that. Don't terrible worry. DMs. They 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 shirk the rules because they don't know the rules. They're like, oh, we're just making this up, and I didn't I didn't feel like reading anything. And then there's the ones that read everything and don't allow any role playing. It's like, oh, we'll roll for everything, roll it all. We're not even doing anything. And and this was the middle of that, so. To me, I don't think that's going to be a problem. I don't know how Fox feels, but I, I, I'm yeah, enjoying it I've, as a player. I've probably experienced just enough from different, like, I played a couple Pathfinder sessions at Gen Con with young, arrogant DMs that I, you know, have have personal feelings against now, and, and different situations like that. Like, we talked about in a previous episode, I 
played a lot of Pathfinder with one group who played it kind of like a video game, and then with another group that played it like LARPing. So I've sort of experienced some of the extremes as far as that goes. But I wanted to go back um, for Fox, because I know you have to go soon, but um, you mentioned your, uh, your Gen Con DMing experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and- All right, so we're going to get into this, like, for real? Okay. Okay. Right. Go, go ahead, go ahead Dennis. What, what were you going to say? Where, how are you going to start this? What do you got? Well, uh, Fox mentioned it in his uh, in his gaming, his D&D or role-playing backstory as, I forget the exact phrasing, but but one of the most fun um, you've ever, you ever had, which yes. to me sort of sort of proves that um, a, a session, a, a role playing session, doesn't have to necessarily be good. Yeah, to, well, be, to be incredibly enjoyable. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! wait. <laughs> I just didn't say it's not good. Go ahead. <laughs> Let me try and unpack that exactly what you said. Are you, are you saying my module wasn't good? Which is totally fine. I just want to make sure I understand no. the, the, where we're starting from. No, the, I mean... It's like, no. Without, without going into too much detail, there, there were a lot of aspects of it that were frustrating to me personally, and I felt like were also to you. Okay, okay. You. I didn't. I, I will say very quickly. I can elaborate that, that on, on that if you like. I, I, I'll uh, tell you on my point casting of view. Aspersions like, I, or anything. I realized very quickly that I was going to have to play a, a role, and my role as DM was actually to be the frustrated DM because I thought that was humorous <laughs> for the crowd we were playing. <laughs> my level of stress and anger was totally fabricated for the enjoyment of the group because of how much you. they were missing. <laughs> yes. I do not believe that. I, know I, call, I call I no, call I'm Nick's dead on serious. <laughs> I, 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 went, I went upstairs that evening and was, was and drank a lot, who, right? <laughs> right, yeah, I drank myself to sleep. Well, everybody no, drank I, I a talked lot, to people, so. I talked to people who knew what I was doing because I had play tested a, a week earlier. Um, and I, I, I basically said exactly what I said to you that evening that I was basically like, this was ridiculous, but mostly because <laughs> of the people I was playing with. And so, like, I quickly moved into the role of like almost an antagonist. An, not antagonistic. Oh gosh, I can't even say it now. Antagonistic DM, but one who is like kind of being um, put upon by the group because people kept thinking that was funny. But I was not genuinely ever upset or angry or frustrated that people were trying to break this game. Oh, that's we... the absolute truth. And that's what I'll stick by. Forever. <laughs> So, so for let, let me do a little recap here, or, or a catch up on some of our listeners here. We Dennis said that we had stuff at, at Gen Con that we played, and, and we had mentioned that it was a D and D based campaign. It was fifth edition. Was the rule set that we, we, we talked chose. about it on the show? We but, did, but you you we had to we had to cut it all out. Right. So we, had, we it's a it's a fifth edition rule set. Uh, some people had never played before. There was a large mixture of people. Uh, none of us had ever played before. Uh, we we were really blindsided with like how's this going to work? Who who are these people? And some of the people we only see like once a year, so we didn't really get to know anything about anyone. And like the DM, yeah, right, and the DM, right? And and Fox, it was in the uh, unenviable in an unenviable position of being controller of the chaos. Um, and I got to say, there's there were more players 
in that that I think I've ever personally DM'd. Was there like 10 or something like that? Eight or 10? There was a lot of people. And it felt like at least six or seven yeah. plus plus kibitzers. Right. And and we had and we, it was in a small place that we didn't know. We couldn't roll, could, couldn't roll dice very well. It was hard to see. And it was just this chaos. It was the only thing we could explain it, it was chaos. So uh, my that's where we were. We came into this situation and we we're in this, this one room and we're all playing this thing, not at a table, just the way everybody knows it was on couches and floors and chairs. And uh, a living room. In a living room. Fox, I think, had maybe a card table that he was barely working on. No, he had a chair. I had two chairs. Two chairs. I had two chairs. I had a chair I was sitting on and a chair I could roll on. Right. And, and we had to all play this in one evening, which we had to start on time, which I don't think I have ever personally done. And which is well, because you were the one who was late. Oh, yeah. See, that, that, that's, that's why we are never on time when I'm involved. Uh, they have uh, – but we had to do that, and we had we had to play for burying the lead a little bit. Right, we we had to we had to we had to play and get this done on a certain time because we all had Gen Con going on, you know, going to happen, uh, and then with dinner and all that stuff. But we got it done. I, I got to say, of all the stuff we had, we got the whole adventure done, which is something I never in a million years would have thought would have happened. Um, I really didn't go into that thinking that was going to happen, and and that's big props to you, Fox. Uh, all well, other again, my goal was to make people laugh, so I wanted to do something funny, which was t- it's it's amazing because I was totally influenced by the um, host of this show. So Dennis had been kept like <laughs> poking me and poking me. He really wanted to do a Star Trek. Uh, role playing game, and Mike kept poking me and poking me about all like the things I need to know about being a good DM for this group. So I decided to combine the two <laughs> and basically do a Star Trek Next Generation scenario set in the D and D five E universe. So it was all the D and D five E rules, but set aboard the Starship Enterprise one seven zero one D. And so, as you might imagine, that causes a lot of problems when you're trying to, you know, basically create the character sheets for all these different characters. Um, that's funny. I mean, so I, I mean, I, and I'm okay if the answer is no, but I, I assume that you guys all had as much fun as I did. Now I'm almost worried that I had more fun than anyone else. Oh no, I, I totally disagree. <laughs> I think I think that that's that's. The reason we like to bring it up even here on the show is because it's one of the most memorable things that all of us have had. Uh, and, and I agree and that's with what I wanted. I agree with what Dennis said and, and, and not a, and I know he didn't say it in a, in an attacking way because I, I get the feeling he was trying to convey was that uh, it, it wasn't good in the stand in the, the, the label that this is how a D and D session is run. It's not oh, one that's going to not gonna, at all. Yeah, it's not okay, going to be one that that, completely. that there's there's a, the beginning, middle, and end. We all yeah, go I, through I, this I stuff. I probably phrase that poorly, right? So, but it was it was good because it was fun, and and that's what made it good. It wasn't good because it was and that was my perfect. goal. I tried to create something knowing my audience, knowing who was there, that they would be laughing and having a funny time with. I mean. In terms of D and D etiquette, I would, you know, I would get kicked to the curb. I mean, rightfully right. so, because I mean, it was just, it was absurd. But I mean, that's what D, that's why D and D and role playing games in general are wonderful, is that you can play to your audience just like a comedy set. You know, I mean, that's really what it is. Right. Like, you know, you know the jokes to to throw out because you know who you're telling them to, and that's sort of what I was going for with something like this. The best part well, about a... that, with for me, about that particular D and D was that uh, I wasn't actually playing. 
because <laughs> I well, that's been right. Frustrated it felt like you were in my mind. You were playing because you would throw tidbits here and oh, there. I was so definitely throwing were... tidbits, especially some Star Trek lore and references. It's funny you and claiming like I was cute. Like you just kind of popped up and gave a piece of information that popped away. Right. <laughs> well, well, it's 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 well, fun too. I think that that. Uh, the, I really love what you said, Fox, there, is that it's, it's just playing to the audience and realizing that role-playing games aren't, honest to God, they're not about ro- rolling the dice or the story, really, even. I mean, we'll all remember that, but I'm not entirely certain we'll all remember exactly what the story was about. I mean, we won't necessarily know everything. What we'll remember is that there was a portal that, right, that, right, that, right. that people wanted to what, constantly what were trying mean? to it make was, out with pressure. It was a mind flare. Yeah. It, it was, was definitely a mind flare. I don't remember it was a mind flare right. who was behind the, the whole the, thing. Dennis was doing everything. He still denies that he was just trying to go back in time so that he could talk and flirt with uh, uh, the the ship's counselor. You know, he, that's all he was trying okay, to do. Okay, well, I want to <laughs> I, w- I want to recount my my experience with the, with the campaign. But before I do that, there's an aspect of this that ties back to something Pat said about role-playing. And... It was it's very similar to my reaction when I first played Pathfinder, which anyone listening to this show knows that they're essentially the same. I think the world, the inner sea world for Pathfinder is different from Faerun. Yeah, I, I think is how you say yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but I had the same problem. They're like, OK, just write up backstory for your character. And I think I've said this on the show, like, I don't know anything about this world. So how do I do that if this were? Azeroth or the Star Trek universe, clearly that's one that I'm fond of, um, I would have no problem. Even even something like Hyrule, I, I could figure it out. Um, Sounds like but my in this, campaign. But in this unknown fantasy world, I was like, I was like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. So when we talked about playing for Gen Con, I was like, do we have to do the D&D world? Because I have a really, really shallow understanding of some of the Pathfinder world, but I've never played the D&D world. And so that's why I threw out, like, are we going to do Star Trek, maybe Star Wars, something? Well, and I know there are... I know that not everybody in the in the Gen Con group is familiar with Star Trek, so I'm like, what, what's the most... Well, let what's me the least common denominator? Like, should it be in Middle Earth or something like that? Go Can ahead. I ask a question in that effect? So I kept it obviously a secret that you guys are going to be all transported to right. the Enterprise in the first five. Would it have been better if you had known that was going to happen, or was the reveal a fun enough surprise that you? I like... think, I yeah, think I mean, for me, yeah. for me it was frustrating. I think for Pete it was frustrating because he rolled a druid, <laughs> and there's not a lot of nature on a starship. Um, he he still point. he. He still beat the campaign in our in our second <laughs> he beat it, right? instance of NPC dialogue, yelling "It's a mind flare." Uh, yeah, I was like, I was like, mind flare. What's a mind flare? Like a fun surprise, but maybe maybe I could have said, you know, I, like I said, it was it was tough for me because I wanted to give you guys kind of a gift. Right, like that was in my mind. I wanted to do something like, and you don't want to. I wanted to be wrapped up, as it were. Oh, I, I think um, that I think that you. You had a great motivation, and that would have worked with anyone else but us group. I, I think it just the way our minds worked, we would have been better off knowing that this is what we were doing. All right, that's fair. Well, if I get to make one for next year, I'll give you guys more. <laughs> right. well, I now, don't know if you guys would let me do it again or not. But, but. Well, the, the, get, the, get, the thing I really want to point out, and this is to anyone who's 
gotten this far in our in our podcast today and are even talking about <laughs> Pat shakes his head not this far <laughs> but we we uh, and you don't know a lot about role playing or experience it or you have stigmas or ideas what you've done if you've never done it do it with some some people that you're friends with i mean even for the first time and i know i'm really encouraged by people like fox who had as adults decided they were going to do this and they're going to try it my my daughter is uh, 11 and she just started taking D&D Club. And they're doing D&D Club at lunch. And um, and it's really fun. She really enjoys it. The, the kid is a DM. And they're not... They roll some rules and he rolls for them. But they're just having fun hanging out and doing a shared experience together with other people. And that is the best thing about role-playing games and D&D, Star Trek... No matter it was, and the example, the thing I love to point out about your thing at Fox at Gen Con was it didn't matter what the setting was. It's that we were all hanging out laughing or getting confused and frustrated at one, one point and excited the other. And then we just had those unique experiences where I sat and talked to Chris next to me at one point, And then I looked over and Dennis and he's getting frustrated at one another point and then trying to figure <laughs> things out the next and then here pops in Q, Pat, with his little stuff. So <laughs> it, it all just works. And I have those memories. And it was just a good bonding, fun, social thing. You'd have with going to football games. You'd have with going to parties or yeah. with you know, book clubs, whatever it might be. This is, this is the best thing that you can have. And the game system you're using is just a backbone for that. Uh, yeah, it's my hope that 20 years when we're still going to Gen Con and we're still staying in that ratty old house mm-hmm. and, you know, Doing the same thing is, is an annual pilgrimage that we'll talk about this being the first, hopefully of many, you know, annual traditions that we play with multiple, multiple games. And I would be, I will say this, you know, on record now, I would be honored to do another one next, next year. If people, people actually are willing to try it. Do, do we, do we start my, on Star Trek and then go into D and D world? We, we use Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, characters. Well, yeah. well, I think I'll think, well, you give, to be fair, the feedback you gave me with this group has been really helpful. Cause I never played D and D with you guys. So knowing, you know, again, you talk about knowing your audience. Now I know like what would be better is to know a little, bit more about the campaign a little bit more about the setting so you can enjoy that backstory you can enjoy creating a character for that scenario well you know what, um, yeah, that all I mean, said go ahead I, just to go ahead, just Dennis. to summarize you know i think i think i said this earlier like setting up a character in the D world and having that not really be as important was a little frustrating i rolled the character to be fairly strong in combat and then we did almost no combat and when we did i rolled horribly which was <laughs> also frustrating through no fault of yours but i i felt like because i'm i'm somewhere in the middle of role playing and role playing where i was like okay right. well what what would a fantasy D D character <laughs> be doing in this situation? They'd be looking around amazed at yes, like, yes. oh, what what kind of demon yeah. are you using to to get information out of like they don't understand computers in yeah. that world? And there was so much chaos in the room that I felt <laughs> I felt unable, you know, as as Mike accused me earlier of going back to, to hit on Counselor Troy. <laughs> I was that was me attempting to um, translate something that I, the player, understood in meta, right. right? That that Deanna Troy is the counselor, and she's a Betazoid with empathic abilities, and try to get that information to my character through right. role playing in the middle of all this, you know, 
well, varying levels of drunken chaos in right, a room sure. of a dozen people. Well, well, next year, I'll like I said, I'll throw it out there. I'll put out a poll and I'll ask people what they want me to do. Um, I'm going to use the D and D rules again next year because just more I'm familiar with. But I will be more transparent about what we're going to do so we can sort of have. It's not. I'm not going to say less chaos, different chaos. I think <laughs> I um, with that, that in mind, gentlemen, I hate to do this, but I have to bow out of this oh, conversation. Okay. I I told I told Mike and Dennis earlier they had me for ninety minutes or uh, thirty minutes and it's now broaching ninety. Yeah, see, this is um, what happens when so, you come over. Oh my over, gosh, Fox. this is. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been an absolute pleasure and honor to be a part of this conversation. Thank you so much, um, and I can't wait to hear the show. They're always a highlight of my every two weeks. Thank, thanks for being on hey, Fox. Hey, hey, brother, we love having you on here, guy. Thanks again, but okay, Pat. So you. I wouldn't call you a, a, a new player anymore. I think I think that you've got the full experience of, of D&D. Like, I think when we first started, the, the thing was that, well, Pat's a new. Pat's never played. Pat's never played D&D before, and he's kind of always wanted to play. And now, now that you are. Now, you, now here it is. After, after two years of almost once a week, I think. Yeah, yeah you're, you're a vet player of, of D&D and role-playing games now. You could speak with them and understand it. And a good experience all around. Um, what, what, what's, it, what's your take on... RPGs now or role-playing games, is it any kind of different perspective? What you know, think about it, how you feel about them? Well, I think if I would have started playing when I was young, uh, you guys call me a rule Nazis now, but I would have been far worse even then. <laughs> um, <laughs> You've mellowed with age? Absolutely. I, I go with the flow now. <laughs> um, but I think my life probably would have taken a different track because I probably would have gotten into it a lot more. When I got to IU, I probably would have located a group if I would have been able to get into it. One of the things that was going on when I was in high school was there was a lot of blowback about D&D, and there was a lot of concern from parents about how much time kids were spending on it, and there were a number of suicides that people were blaming on it ridiculously. Um, so I don't know that it was encouraged within the small group uh, or going to a Catholic high school that it wasn't really encouraged the same way as it might have been going to a larger public school. And so I think I'm glad I didn't get started on it younger because I think it would have changed the trajectory of uh, my life. And I kind of <laughs> like where my life is going now. I would have changed my whole life. <laughs> it really would. I'm yeah. not even kidding about that. that that's funny. Um, that's, that's really interesting to think about because as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know what? I, I think you're right. I think we had this whole conversation about the social aspect of it. I mean, uh, you get with a group of five people and you're playing this long-term type thing, you're bound to become friends or to know each other. And that's a whole different thing. You right. You've got a whole different group. You've got a whole different set of people that you're dealing with. Um, and a lot of my career was based on the politics that I was in, in college. And that's where all of my, Connections have been, and most of my jobs have come from that aspect of it. So if I would have been in D&D, &D, it would have been a different experience. And I'm not sure that it would have been a... Uh, I don't think I would have been more successful, but who knows? You know, it's one of those things that you don't know. Maybe I would have had different connections. Yeah, I mean, I can say for myself that, like, my best mate, he's got... He's got uh, we play D&D. &D. That's kind of how we met. I was rolling dice in an English class, and he was like, what's this? And we kind of struck up the conversation and we know each other from a couple different things but D&D &D is what we were doing and gaming and that 
if I hadn't had that, I don't think, I don't know if that would have been the same thing. And today we're rock solid friends for, for life. And it's right. one of those that would have changed. I mean, that would have been a whole different, not that it's bad or good. Life would have been different, but right. It just would be different. Yeah. It's kind of like saying if you weren't in, in tennis or you weren't in uh, the marching band or whatever, you it's just did a whole different life experience. Right. There. Exactly. It, right. Life's about choices and, and the choices you make impact your life the rest of the way through. So. Well, yeah, but just because you you didn't play Mario Brothers in, in high school doesn't mean that changes your life. I mean, that wouldn't have changed your life whether you didn't play Mario or you didn't play, right. you know, Metroid. So it's not just a game. So I can get I can get where some people had concern that it takes a long time. Why are they spending so much time with it? It's changing things. They're different. They hang out with different people. You know, they talk about dragons and demons and... I mean, I get it. You know what I mean? I get that. Uh, adult concerns. Right. And I try not I try not to judge other people's life choices because I'm sure other people would judge some of mine. Uh, and I don't really I don't really need that. But um, I don't think that... So again, I don't think it's for better or for worse, but I like the experiences that I got from what I did in college and after college. And I don't think I would have had those experiences or opportunities if I would have been... And, uh, playing role-playing games, and I think I would have gotten into it much more heavily had I been introduced to it much younger. Hey, I think uh, I think we about killed it tonight, man. We got got two two uh, two guests on at one time, and uh, two good guys Chaos. that are know their stuff in studio. In in studio, man, I don't like studio. I like it in, in the in the game room. I don't like studio, right? It's, I guess it's <laughs> I mean, you you called it a studio. It's, I did. Nobody's. Right. Nobody's well, I, now I've got all this that. boom arm and the mics and stuff in here, and I leave it all up, and it's kind of is, is the studio, and we have the, the lights oh, down. Oh, I see, I see. The, uh, so, yeah, I, thought, I think it was good. We did good this week. I think we saved a lot of lives. We uh, got the world safe for another week. I think we're, we're doing we good, right? We upheld the Prime Directive. We did upheld the Prime. Actually, we, did, we failed at the Prime Directive, which was to not talk about we, Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, we, we, we broke our Star Trek rule for sure. The, but, the uh, entire show was about Star Trek role-playing <laughs> games, or at least a substantial portion of it. Or it's, 80s. It's a loophole. Yeah. It's a loophole. Well, I just think uh, I just think of all the people that like are interested in all of the other things that we're talking about except Star Trek. They're like, God, here we go again. These guys are. I think we're just going to call it the front trek is what we're going to call every episode. But yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, the loophole is that we're really talking about role playing. It's just that the specifics of it happen to be about Star Trek. <laughs> That's in right. Both of the example. I mean, you 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 talked a lot about your um your Tiamat. D and D campaign. So yeah, well, we got a, it. There's a little bit of a buffer there. So yeah, this is. Uh, thanks for coming, everybody, this week. Hey, Pat, thanks for coming this week. It's been great talking to you. Buddy. Thanks for having me. Okay, anything we're going to talk about next week that sounds fun? Jedi. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it out to see Jedi. My family might be mad at me, but we'll get it, sorry. man. They'll I'm forgive sorry. you. They can they can listen. We'll and, spoil uh, it for them. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk we'll talk about that, and it'll be filled with spoilers. Yeah, as filled always. with spoilers. I'm not holding back. Screw that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, if anybody wants to uh, um, come check us out, you should go to frontporchpodcast.com, and you can check out all of our episodes there. Yep. Um, if you have any questions or comments, or if you got some topics you'd like to suggest for us to talk talk over. Uh, some movies that are coming up, uh, some games. Yeah, definitely let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Send us uh, an email there. Or our uh, emails on the on the, the website. Uh, until then, 
for the Front Porch Podcast. This is Michael Daniels. And I'm Dennis Rogers. For the Front Porch. Night, everybody. Night, everybody.